0: Welcome to the Adelphoi podcast. Adelphoi is a music production company based in London and Amsterdam, and we do music and sound design for audio branding and commercials worldwide. This podcast series is an offshoot of the work that I do there, but it's more about getting to grips with the fundamentals of audio branding and looking at the bigger picture. I'm Jamie Masters, and I'm speaking to you from North London, in the autumn of 2020. Susie and Eddie are away at the moment. I had to send Eddie back to the shop to get him fixed. He was getting a bit lippy. But my doppelganger has come round to stay for a few days. Hello. We get on reasonably well. He said he wouldn't mind chipping in. Well, I didn't exactly say that. He's a bit contrary. Contrary? I don't know what you mean. well, anyway. So, once again, I'm thinking about Sonic logos the flagship product of the audio branding industry. Now, I ended the last episode on a kind of cliffhanger, so I had just made the argument that there's a whole group of sonic devices, like cinema idents, which everyone loves because they remind us of the thrill of being in the cinema, or at least movie night at home. So there's a big element of positive emotional conditioning going on there. And the same is true for TV idents, and, in a less dramatic way, for startup sounds on electronic devices like computers. I mean, nowhere near as thrilling, but still a sound you associate with a positive result. Anyway, the point was, that's all very well, but what about a Sonic logo that appears on the end of a TV ad? For a bank? Or a telecoms company? Or a supermarket. well, really? Yeah, they brought it back. So you know what that one was? Yeah, of course. It, it's uh, it's Asda, that that pocket slap thing. Yeah, well, they, they tried just having the doot-doot last year. But I guess no one recognised it or something, except you. Yeah, except me. But, you know, that's, that's the sort of thing I would notice. Anyway. Did you get the others? Uh, yeah, of course. Um, HSBC was the first one, and... Um, AT&T. Yep, that's right. So in this episode, I'm narrowing the field, and I'm only looking at sonic logos designed for TV adverts. So why do we have them? What are they there for? Sonic logos didn't exist as a concept before about 25 years ago, but they didn't spring into existence out of nowhere. They developed naturally out of things the ad industry was already doing with music, but just with a bit more self-consciousness and theorising added in. I think since then, we've grown used to thinking of sonic logos as a given, a standard component in the audio branding toolkit. But really, what we call sonic logos is more a kind of a bundle of ideas that have gravitated together from various places. And sure, the differences are subtle, and there is a sort of mutual gravitational pull about them, but it's still just a convenient label and we want to be careful about taking it too seriously and letting it do the thinking for us. The name itself, Sonic Logo, isn't exactly fixed. I don't even like it that much. Well, I think it's rubbish. You should stop using it. But there are lots of perfectly valid alternatives. Obviously, you can say Audio Logo or Acoustic Logo. I mean, that doesn't make any difference at all. Not much better, really, is it? But if you don't like Logo, then you can try terms like Audio Signature, Sonic Signature, Really? and Audio Sign Off, and even Sting. Oh. And I've seen all of those used in one place or another. For a while, I tried using Sonic Ident as a name. I quite like that one. I don't know why. But in the end, I'm trying to communicate with people, so I normally go with Sonic Logo, because that's the one I figure most people will know. And then there's the old term mnemonic, which I sometimes hear mispronounced, mnemonic. Yeah, well it is mnemonic. Mm. So often in fact that I think I'm going to have to start pronouncing it that way myself or people will think I'm strange. Yeah, well that train has left the station. Look, are you going to be like this the whole time? Look, I'm just... You said you wanted dialogue. I mean, you don't want to be just talking to yourself the whole time, do you? Okay. Anyway, the point is that the lack of consistent terminology is a clue to the kind of under-the-surface divisions I'm talking about. Those different terms speak to different ways of thinking about what a sonic logo does. The term mnemonic, pneumonic, no, definitely mnemonic. Okay, if you want to be wrong. Well, that tries to say something about recall, about how these sonic devices are there to remind you of the brand wherever you hear them. And Sting and Sign-Off are all about the position at the end of an ad, which is usually where we find them. Sting says that it's meant to stand out prominently, catch the attention, Whereas sign off and signature are more about identifying the brand or making a sound that is uniquely characteristic of the brand. If you choose to say Sonic logo, you know what I think about that, then you're linking the idea to visual logos and making an implied claim about how the sound mirrors the role of a visual logo, maybe even stands in for it. It's a very common idea. I liked IDENT because it doesn't tie things to the visual logo, it leaves things more open, it just IDENTIFIES, and it suggests something in common with radio IDENTS and TV IDENTS. So, if we're looking at the roots of this kind of audio branding, let's get that one out of the way first. There's no question that one of the biggest influences on the development of Sonic logos was TV channels and radio stations, which used often very simple musical themes as part of their broadcast identities. The NBC chimes, for instance, were the first ever audio trademark to be registered, and I hardly need to provide more examples of a phenomenon which is deeply etched on. Yeah, all but of y- us. go on. Just, just have at least have Thames Television. Uh, uh, okay, um, I've got it here somewhere. Yeah, here it is. That's class, that is. Yeah, well, you're showing a rage. That well, I grew up with that. Well, it's... it's... It's good. But it's not just idents. You just have to listen to something like this, made by NBC for public service announcements in the early 1990s. It was a series called The More You Know. And that kind of self-contained four-note theme is an obvious precursor of sonic logos for commercial brands in the 21st century. That's Purina Pet Foods. But I'm going to take that all for granted, and I want to go back to the 1970s. 1974, to be precise. Richard Nixon resigns the presidency of the United States. Muhammad Ali regains the world heavyweight title. And Little Feet release their fourth studio album, Feets Don't Fail Me Now. Sorry, what? That's the best you could come up with. Yeah, I'm a big fan. Aren't you? you know, well, no accounting for taste. Have you got anything better? No, don't tell me. I don't want to hear. I've got I've got this to get... Just, yeah, all right. Okay. Sorry. Got to get on. And Duracell Batteries creates the world's first... Well, I'm not sure what to call it. Um, Audio-visual brand device. That sound was synchronised to an animation of the copper-coloured top of the battery, slamming shut on the black body. So it was quite strong visually, too. The animation came near the climax of the ad, but it wasn't at the very end, it wasn't the sting, more like it acted as a kind of gateway into the final slogan sequence. The copper top battery. No regular battery looks like it, or lasts like it. And that audio device, is still in use today, in almost exactly its original form. Over the 45, 46 years between then and now, they played around a bit with exactly where the big crash would happen. They even tried just having the crash and nothing else. Duracell. No ordinary battery looks like it or lasts like it. Which makes no sense to me at all. (laughs) No, me neither. Especially as it was on radio and they experimented with having the slogan spoken simultaneously rather than before or after. No battery is more advanced. And, well, it's a small thing, but not entirely trivial, that at some time in the last ten years it was pushed all the way back to the end of the ad, so it did become a kind of sign-off. A picture of the battery slamming shut, fthum, and those three notes. And I suppose that's mostly a matter of changing priorities. Back in the 70s, however useful and striking that device might have seemed, they still wanted the brand slogan to take pride of place, because in those days the dominant idea was still that ads needed to persuade people by giving them the information, the unique selling points. Of course they had lots of other tricks up their sleeve too, and they were perfectly aware of the power of music, mostly in the form of sung jingles. But even jingles were just a vehicle for the message, on the logic of a spoonful of sugar to make the medicine go down. All they need is the information. But in modern advertising, audio devices like this one are now given greater weight. So they do take up that emphatic position at the end. In a way, you know Duracell's audio device has completed its evolution into a modern Sonic logo just because they're putting it on the end. So that's one of the routes that takes us to modern audio branding. And you can see how bound up that is in the idea of sound-tracking the brand logo, or the pack shot. And that's what Intel did, too, 20 years later. Yeah, I know this one. Bum-bum-bum-bum. Very good. You know you can be quite patronising uh, sometimes. Sorry, I, I, I don't mean anything by it. It's all right, it's all right. Just something you might want to be aware of. Anyway, the Intel bongs were originally conceived in 1994 as an extension of their existing logo animation. And at the beginning the company saw the whole thing, sound and graphics, as an entity. It was only with the passage of years that the sound began to be appreciated in its own right. We often talk of sonic logos as if they were always, or ideally, pure audio elements a sort of alternative logo in sound form, meant to work independently of visuals. But no, not all of them do work like that. In a fair number of cases, the audio and the visual go hand in hand and make sense of each other. They depend on each other for their effectiveness. The visual logo identifies the brand. The audio enhances it, helps fix it in memory, gives it a more felt intuitive dimension. It it does that thing that sound does. Here's a recent example, and I'm playing it because I think it's not particularly successful as audio only, and it's really not that distinctive. I mean, look, let's do this. Just listen to this piece of audio and see if it rings any bells. A big brand, advertises a lot, I'm making a bet that most of you listening won't know what it is. It's not, for instance, the same as this. Or this. Or this. Or this. Or this. Or this. this. Full marks, of course, if you did recognise all those variations on the old heartbeat cliché, all of them from the last six years. Two of those were the car brand, Audi. Different sonics created some years apart. There are a couple of medical-themed ones. Um, GlaxoSmithKline. And the last one was the British Heart Foundation. There was a Viacom TV ident in the middle there, and I started with Nissan and Persia. So, a simple point. Without a brand name visible, there's not much to latch on to in this very austere, less is more kind of style. But on TV, they're perfectly effective. Now, it's part of the modern audio branding programme, it's kind of in the manifesto, that a Sonic logo can recall the brand identity to mind wherever it is heard, without the assistance of visuals. And sure, there are a few well-known ones that can do that. But it may not be the thing that these short audio devices are actually best at. It may be that they benefit from being paired with visuals, which take the strain of having to identify the brand and let the audio part work its own special magic. OK, but what about radio? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I thought that the whole point of audio branding was to use it across all the touch points. Well... And if, if you're only using it when you've got visuals, it's, it's not... Um, well, it's not, yes, I think that is a problem. Well... I don't want to put it like that. Uh, It's true that if you go down this route, you're limiting your options. But, you know, push come to shove, that Audi sound on the end of a TV ad, the Audi one, yeah, I think that's the one that people know. And it is pretty striking in context. People do sort of remember it. And it's dark and brooding and high tech. And if that's the brand they want to be, Maybe it doesn't matter so much to them that the sonic kind of falls flat on radio, does it? Yeah, it does. But in a way, I think we shouldn't be too purist about audio branding. We should just accept that a lot of useful work can be done by a short audio motif that comes on top of a visual device. And it may not be the fullest use of the possibilities, but it's still an important part of audio branding, even if it's not the thing that gets top billing. So, I think it's time for a break now. A break? You don't do breaks. Well, it's just a you know, a new thing we're trying out. Dear listener, we at Adelphi Music know how hard it can be to have to listen to one person blathering on and on. It can be exhausting. It can drive you mad. There's only so much that a person can take we're having this break for your sanity's sake. Let your mind wander a mo. We'll be back in a bit. That feels good, doesn't it? Now I'm sure that you're raring to go to the end. And it's time to get on with the show. So, welcome to the second half. In the first half I was looking at one of the origins of the modern Sonic logo in audiovisual brand devices where the audio is conceived in conjunction with the visuals, and may not function so effectively on its own. But I want it to be noticed how examples like Duracell and Intel kind of push us into thinking of audio branding in this very logo-centric way. And there are consequences. One of which is that we expect these audio devices to stand for the brand like a logo does and to represent the brand like a logo does and embody the brand's values and characteristics. And sound can do that. Even titchy little musical snippets can pack a lot of implicit meaning into just a few seconds. But it is only one way to go. And it might not always be the most interesting way to go. And the other consequence, before I forget, is that we tend to shove sonic logos onto the ends of ads, the default position for visual logos and pack shots. And it's this end position that I want to think a bit more about now. The earliest form of audio branding is, of course, sung jingles, brand songs... And a lot of sonic logos have literally developed out of the hooky, climactic chorus of a jingle, after the jingle went through rounds and rounds of adaptation and truncation. You know, lopping off the introductory verse, scrapping the lyrics, changing the style of the arrangement, and homing in on a single musical phrase as a brand emblem. It happens to instrumental themes, too. And for every theme that goes through that process of truncation, the nubbin that is left behind always takes up residence at the end of the ad, where the climax of the jingle would have been. So that's another reason why Sonics tend to appear there. And the end is also where the voiceover does the brand slogan. Have a break. Have a kid cat. And there's a lot of common ground between brand slogans and Sonic logos. You can think of slogans... Spoken in a certain way by particular voices, as a form of Sonic logo in itself. It's got our name on it Wix. And yes, slogans do have a lot in common with Sonics. They are audio based. Good to the last drop. They're deeply involved in the brand's identity. It's finger looking good. Slogans have to be distinct. The quicker picker upper. They thrive on exact repetition. The trouble is, the trouble is, the trouble is, they taste too good. And I think there's an acknowledged musicality about slogans. They're often quite rhythmical and delivered in a particular kind of way. The appliance of science. Sometimes, in fact, music has been called upon to support and mirror the voiceover doing the slogan. Here, for instance, is UK biscuit brand McVitie's with the slogan, You have to go a long, long way to find a better biscuit. You have to go a long, long way to find a better biscuit. That ran from 1993 to 1996, and it comes from exactly the period when jingles were beginning to go out of fashion, especially in the UK, and the idea of speaking the slogan with music underneath must have looked like an attractive alternative to having someone sing it. In some cases, the slogans were just spoken versions of existing jingles, with the original tune somewhere in the background. McDonald's did that with their slogan from the late 1990s, Did Somebody Say McDonald's? Oh, this is what it sounds like when you sing it. Just did somebody say just eat? Whoa, no, 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 that's not the right one. That's, that's, uh, that's just, just eat. eat. Yeah, I saw that on an ad last week, I think. Ah, uh, let's see. Uh, 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 ah, yeah, here it is. Here's the McDonald's one. Did somebody say McDonald's? Anyway, this is what it sounds like when you say it with the tune kind of in the background. Six McNuggets for just 99 cents? Did somebody say McDonald's? Mm. So the moral is that there are a lot of forces pushing Sonic logos to the end of an ad. The way they're tied in with slogans or get used as slogan substitutes, or they're the remnant of the end part of some old jingle, or, in a more limited way, just the audio part of the end logo device. And I find that interesting because it's one of the big differences between advertising Sonics and those other audio devices I talked about last time, like Cinema Idents, which act as appetizers for some positive thing that is yet to come. Brand audio devices are not usually found introducing an ad. And that may be because on television... Sonic logos are never divorced from some form of visual logo, pack shot, or end board. It may seem obvious to say so, but actually there's no rule that says the visual logo can't come on the front. Yeah, yeah, true. Uh, I've seen it happen lots of times. yeah, so have I. And there's no rule, only inertia, that says the sonic logo can't be heard with it in that position. Though it almost never is. Even so, there are a few brands that have experimented with doing just that, effectively bookending their ads with their brand sound front and back. Interestingly, Duracell is one of them. If you think all batteries are the same, consider this. Honda? Was that it? Apparently so. Sounds a bit like a doorbell. Yeah. Anyway, uh, there's um, AutoZone. Hang on, hang on. You're trying to make some sort of point because they sound like the same thing no, to no, me. No, 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 no. I wouldn't do that. Well, well You might. Quite a lot of game companies, like Stadia. Xbox. PlayStation. PlayStation's one of those brands that's gone for an introductory Sonic device that's different from its end device. So this is the front. And this is the end. Then there's Nintendo Switch. And maybe the point about those ads is that the logo device on the front introduces footage of gameplay, which is enjoyable for enthusiasts. So it's doing the associative conditioning thing. Anyway, there's also Moonpig in the UK, sort of novelty greetings cards. No, 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 hang on, you've done that again. That's the Uh, same tune as before. No, it isn't. Shush, shush now. Uh, Lint Chocolate. It's very trad. And last example, State Farm, an insurance company whose top and tail Sonic is getting lots of recognition in the US at the moment, at least according to the latest report from Very Tonic. So on the front, they've got this. And they end with this. Like a good neighbour, State Farm is there. That's another example of a lyric from an old jingle, which is now being spoken on top of its original theme. So all those examples together don't amount to any kind of movement or paradigm shift, but they show that some brands are at least probing at the edges of received wisdom. So what difference does that actually make? What are you asking me? No, it's a rhetorical question. Sorry, I'll just let you get on with it. Well, let me start by telling you what I think it means if you do put the whole brand statement on the end. One thing that's good about it is that it doesn't interfere with the music used in the rest of the ad. You can treat it as a kind of appendage, a bolt-on, and it can come from a completely different world. It can be in a different key, different tempo, different style. Now, there's a school of opinion that you shouldn't do that. You should make your sonic logo follow the musical logic. Honestly, I don't see the need for that. And of course if you take it to extremes you end up disguising the Sonic logo by restyling it to fit seamlessly onto the main track which just makes it harder to hear and erases whatever character you gave it to begin with. So I think consistency is the greater virtue and I think most viewers don't bat an eyelid at musical discontinuities. Just think of all those times you've heard "Mm, Don't Coming on the end of some other completely different track. Feed your inner smile this January with Activia. Mm, And tell me that that actually bothered you. And having a Sonic logo that stands apart stylistically, you can have an ad with some zany comedic scenario, and we can all have a good laugh, and then the brand identity comes in, calms things down, and says, But seriously, folks, we're a stable, reputable company. Sort of showing the solid foundation beneath all the hijinks. And that's what's happening, for instance, in those British HSBC adverts featuring Richard Ayuada. The scripts themselves are fairly straight stuff about national identity and globalism, but they're delivered in a typically ironic, quirky way with ironic, quirky music, and only the slightly doomy Sonic logo on the end to reassure you that there's a genuine message in there. Bernard, we are not an island. We are home to so much more. But at the same time, I think the end position has become the thing we expect, and that's a two edged sword. It means viewers recognise what's going on, so that makes it easier to process, but it does run the risk of sounding ordinary and routine, and, worst case, self-satisfied and smug and corporate. And whenever there's a sense of the logo being a kind of revelation at the end of an ad, there's always the danger of undermining the integrity of the ad itself, in retrospect. That's something brands are very sensitive to. Instead of comedy ads, I'm thinking of the more oblique, inspirational kind of ad, where the brand is striving for some kind of authentic voice. And that can be subtly undermined when the brand has to finally make itself known, sheepishly, on the end frame. And it's really not helping that Sonic logos are felt to be something like wordless brand slogans because at this delicate point you don't really want to come across all salesy. But neither do you want to come across all demure and apologetic. Bit of a dilemma really. Of course some brands solve that by not having a sonic device at all, just the graphic logo. Here's a well-known example. Hmm, yeah that didn't work so well on a podcast um well i have to say i think that too can come across as supercilious and smug and corporate so i'm not all that impressed by it yeah look good though yeah it's a nice logo. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's a nice logo. Yeah, really nice actually amazingly good but maybe put the sonic device up front and yeah. yeah it's overt but you've declared yourself and then you can get out of the way and let the content do its thing That would be a gesture of openness and transparency. No one's trying to pretend this isn't an ad. No one's trying to reel you in with bait and switch. No surprises round the corner. So just to gather these threads together, I have no trouble thinking of individual cases where a Sonic logo has been brilliantly effective and really made a difference to a brand's success. If you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you'll know what I mean. But I think as the idea of sonic logos has gone more mainstream, particularly in the last ten years, and more and more music companies are offering a standard toolkit with the sonic logo as the star item, the product has become industrialised. And there's an assumption being made, and it's, it's a lazy assumption, that that model works equally well for everyone. Now, it seems to me to be obvious that music and sound are incredibly important resources, and any brand that isn't thinking about them in a structured, long-term way is missing a trick. But I don't think every brand has to buy into the idea of a Sonic logo. Or rather, not every brand has to buy into what Sonic logos have become. I mean, maybe I'm just saying that role, that idea... That a sonic logo stands for the brand like a visual logo, or like a pack shot, or like a spoken slogan at the end. That it's a summing up of the brand values in sound. That it's an emblem, an announcement, an assertion of ownership. Well, that's just one of the options. And there are other ways of using sonic logos, and other things that sonic logos can be. Maybe if we stopped calling them sonic logos, something like... What about short brand audio uh, device? uh, S-B-A-D, SPAD for short. Well, whatever we chose, maybe we'd be able to think more creatively about what short audio motifs might do, whether sound was giving people a sense of brand continuity and coherence and character, but just not doing it in a blaze of glory. And some brands have already found ways to do this. I mean, it's very tongue-in-cheek, but there's the Aflac duck... Aflac! ...or the meerkats from Compare the Market... Timbles! Ow. Going back a bit, there's the motto theme from the Milk Tray series in the UK. Well, to be honest, that does sound like a bit of a blaze of glory. No, but my, my point is that the theme is like a, a well-known character in that series of ads. And... That theme comes in at the beginning of the ad, so you always know what the ad is for, even though you don't get to see it until the pack shot at the very end. So, okay, not a kind of this is who we are moment. Yeah, that's what I mean. Anyway, those are really obvious examples, but just to show that it can be done. So that's my point. There's more to Sonic Logos than just Sonic Logos. And that's the thought I'm going to end on today. I'm not done with sonic logos yet because there's still two big things about them that I haven't addressed at all. One is their length and the other is the role of repetition. I'll be coming back to those issues in the future. Meanwhile, that's it from me, Jamie Masters. Until next time. This podcast was brought to you by Adelfoy Music delphi music is an audio production company based in the heart of london and amsterdam connecting brands to their audiences through music and sound